Welcome to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast, where we embrace a bold change in the way that we plan for and respond to sudden cardiac arrest in the pursuit of saving more lives. And now your host, Joe Powell and Billy Croft. All right, welcome back to the ACR Moonshot Podcast. I am your host, Billy Croft. Uh, minus my co-host, Joe Powell. Uh, unfortunately, Joe could not uh, make it to Denver. Um, we are thinking of you, Joe. Uh, get well soon. Uh, we had a, didn't we have a slogan, do it for Joe all week? Something like that. So, maybe what would Joe do? Yeah, what would Joe do? Um, so stepping in, who's doing a fantastic job today, by the way, is my uh, my co-host, Kevin Joles, EMS Division Chief from Lawrence Douglas, Kansas, EMS fire. I, I, yeah. We do this every time. We do. We do. Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical. Feels good. LDCFM. Feels good on the lips. It does. It does. <laughs> Rolls right off the tongue. Spent a lot of time on this name. Yeah. So um, obviously we're down here in, in, in or is it up here or down here? Depends on where you're from. I we're guess. Over here. I guess. It would be west. down here for we're you guys. Down here. We we are at Denver at the Zoll Summit, and uh, we get to network and we get to meet some great people here, and uh, we got to meet uh, some uh, two great guys from north of the border. I, why did I go Irish? You did, you did go Irish. That's, that's a completely different yeah. border, by the way. <laughs> yeah. There's a border in Ireland, I'd imagine. <laughs> I just don't think it's in Canada. I, I always I always default to Irish. I don't know why. Maybe because my my son lives in Ireland. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're from, from Canada. Why don't you guys introduce yourself? Because I'm not going to do it justice from where you're at Apparently and not. all that. Yeah, I, I <laughs> suck <not>. at this. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, my name is Mike Humphrey, Lethbridge uh, Fire Emergency Services. I'm the EMS operations officer there. And my primary role is to spot issues, trends, and concerns within our community and within EMS in general and just make sure our paramedics have uh, uh, strategies in place to deal with them. Where, where is that? Uh, Lethbridge is about an hour north of the Montana border and about two hours south of Calgary. All right. You ever sneak over the border to get like beer? Oh, you don't have to do a lot of sneaking. <laughs> it's wide open there. So. Right. <laughs> and are you coming to America for our beer? That's really yeah, yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't. No. So I wouldn't. The, yeah, we do come across for your beer only because it's cheaper. <laughs> okay. That's, All only, right. that's the only reason we come oh, across so for that. Well, welcome, no Mike. Offense, no offense taken. <laughs> welcome, Mike. Uh, my name is Adam Parrott. I am the medical training officer for Lethbridge Fire and Emergency Services. Uh, and so my my primary role and responsibility is to ensure that all medical training uh, is facilitated through our office or through my office uh, to make sure all of our members hit their required continuing education credits every year uh, and to kind of roll out any new programs that we have. That's awesome. How long have you been on, Mike? I've uh, been on Lethbridge Fire. I've been a firefighter for about 16 years and an advanced care paramedic for uh, 18. Awesome. How about you? Yeah. Uh, so for EMS side of things, I've been in the, in the industry for about 22 years now, uh, and I've been with Lethbridge Fire since uh, 2011. Awesome. That is awesome. And you guys are like all hazard fire yeah. and all yeah, that? Yeah. So our, our city is a city of about 104,000 people. Uh, we run five fire stations with... Uh, four to three to four person fire response apparatus, uh, and as well as uh, t- four 24 hour ambulances and six peak time ambulances, uh, both having two uh, two medics on each of those those trucks. So our frontline staff are roughly about 190 frontline operators, uh, and 171 of those are uh, our advanced care paramedics. 
Awesome. That is great. Well, welcome to America. Um, <laughs> I, I met these guys on, on Monday. We, we attended a pre-con, I guess, to the, to the, the Zoll Summit. We were, didn't know each other on Monday, but we had lunch together, and we're standing out front. We take a class picture, I guess, and we're standing there. There's maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 people, in the, maybe 30 people in the class, and standing around like, hey, does anybody give us a ride? want to give us a ride? everybody just walked away. <laughs> so we had to walk across, like, I don't know, we had, to, we had to walk a pretty good distance just to get to, we, we ended up going to, uh, through a little bit of a different um, culture, and then we went to Outback Steakhouse. Oh, cool, yeah. Quality place, and so we... Uh, oh, crikey. To, yeah, yeah. There we yeah, go. Yeah, crikey. I'm, I'm dialing we watched, it in. We then watched half of the class come out from the restaurant right across the street from where we were. <laughs> oh. Nobody could give us a lift anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so we had to... So, <laughs> so five welcoming. Of, yeah, five of us crammed into a spot that only really had four seatbelts. Yeah. Hey, Mike, when it, the first time I met you was uh, Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember, but... Uh, you, you mentioned you went to the, the Nuggets game, which blew me away, man. That was crazy. Um, coming down here, I was looking at the playoff schedule, and I was like, holy cow. If, uh, if the Nuggets make the finals, game five is going to be on Monday. Uh, so long story short, we ended up getting tickets right as they're singing the national anthem. We had purchased on, uh, um, uh, on the iPhone, and then we went bombing down there in a rickshaw, which is um, – I never seen that before, but Denver's got a, a thriving rickshaw community. We almost got in a traffic accident, but um, we made the game. They were throwing the throwing the ball up, and and we rolled right in there. It was that it, it was it was crazy. Well, I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad you got to experience that. That's pretty cool. And right outside our hotel right now is the parade. Oh yeah, yeah, the parade. We're gonna try to celebrate. get to the airport. That's gonna be interesting. So, what brought you guys to the Zoll Summit? Yeah, well, we were speaking at. Uh, um, at one of the sessions just on our experience with case review, how we're using it to, um, to really help our providers know what's actually happening um, um, during cardiac arrest and during medical emergencies. And then we're looking at trends in patient pathology and trying to figure out um, does our protocol or treatment guideline, uh, is it effective in certain situations? Oh, I got it. So we've had, we had contact with you, the ACR yeah, yeah so you, we, we sit on the, um, we've attended the annual or the quarterly meeting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we're interested in bringing some of those ACR concepts into Canada. Yeah, and we, we did Terry and Joe come up and do some stuff with you? Yeah, Terry came up and gave a presentation to our leadership team, uh, to our medical director, uh, and participated in an active shooter event that we, a oh. simulated active shooter event that we had up there where uh, we had, what, 20? It was called Wedding Crashers, so... Yeah. Uh, boyfriend ended up shooting up the wedding, and uh, oh yeah. Yeah, so it was a pretty, yeah, it was a pretty fun day. And, yeah, that's uh, cool. Uh, really good learning. Yeah. So he said I, he was quite impressed because of all the moulage patients that we had there. That, that uh, were, uh, it was pretty, in pretty interesting. It was quite so, the visual. So yeah. you guys are 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 doing all ACR are like a part of ACR. No, we, so we would like to do a bit more of the ACR um, role. Um, so what we've concentrated on uh, was high performance CPR, of course, um, and we we. Unfortunately, we're not able to get the change in protocol. So in Alberta, we have a provincial protocol. Uh, so for your listeners, a, pr a province is like a state. So our, so our province sets the direction of how our medical treatment goes, what our protocols are, and what we have to follow. And so right now, we still have the old epi Q3 to 5 minutes. We have a mandatory arrest time of 30 minutes on scene. So if we quickly do the math, we're looking at, at 9 to 10 epi per 30-minute cardiac Whoa. arrest. Uh, and so we're trying to 
get them to say, hey, this is not the greatest thing. This is not what the, the research is showing us. So let's kind of pull back on that. And, and so that's going to be a long-term struggle for us. Yeah, yeah. I, think we have a, I think we have a way forward. But yeah, once again, it, it, it's going to be a marathon. Um, I think we'll get there eventually. Um, but um, we really just need to keep collecting data um, and really um, really show the evidence uh, of where we want to go. So, And you guys are using mechanical CPR? We are. So we have five autopulses. Uh, so every one of our fire apparatus uh, carries an autopulse, and that, that is the primary truck that will be there with that autopulse uh, for every cardiac arrest in the city of Lethbridge. That's awesome. That's awesome. Love to hear it. Um, so we just got done doing a podcast with Adiel Garcia about epinephrine, and you, you have a, a different spin on epinephrine you're looking yeah. at it differently so can you tell us about you know how that came about and what yeah, it's what's so, that all about so we were looking at um uh, we really started using case review in earnest in october of 2021 um you know we were kind of hand, handed this tool and we didn't really know how to use it but we just knew that there was value there uh, so we we had a look at our first 20 rosks and we had about a 50 percent re-arrest rate and and just kind of looking at it, we're like, what the heck's going on here? Um, and, you know, I've been in the industry for, been a paramedic for 18 years, and I didn't know that, that that 50% of the time, if you have a ROSC patient, um, they're going to re-arrest. And the reason that they re-arrest is, is, is usually due to hypotension. So half the time, they're going to be, um, have a systolic blood pressure lower than 90, and if that... Um, if that blood pressure is lower than 90, we found that there's a 100% chance that that patient's going to re-arrest, and it's usually within two to nine minutes. So we were kind of looking at our treatment protocol to see, does that meet patient pathology? While our protocol is 500 mils of fluid, reassess, another 500 mils of fluid, reassess, online medical consultation, norepinephrine infusion. Well, by the time you get to norepi, nine minutes has come and gone, um, and... And so we brought this to our medical director and we're like, hey, we want to do something about this. Um, and our medical directors, well, it looks like you guys need push dose epi. And we're like, perfect. You were on the same wavelength because that's exactly what we were thinking. Um, and so um, it, it was very empowering because he's like, hey, you guys make the protocol and we'll, and, and, and we'll implement it. Uh, and so really the protocol is now... Um, if you get a ROSC, you're not allowed to go anywhere until you've done at least two minutes of CPR. You've got a four lead, 12 lead. Um, you've checked a, a full set of vitals and a head to toe and articulated what the treatment plan is within 60 seconds. And if the patient is hypotensive, that is the focus of the, the crew. They're not allowed to go anywhere until that's addressed. Yeah, and we should add that the, the province of Alberta did not have a push dose epi protocol. So when, when we went to our medical director, and the way that works is there's seven medical directors in the province of Alberta, and so they meet uh, quarterly, I think, or they meet monthly uh, just to discuss any current issues that they need to deal with, any protocol things, and every two years is when they review the protocols. And so they didn't have anything in place for us to be able to, to address this. So that's why we were the ones who created it for our folks and our staff on what we thought would be the best way and the easiest way for them to deliver it. Uh, and because of the, the work that our members have done, that is now going out to be the provincial protocol. Awesome. That is amazing. I love hearing um, stuff like that, that leadership um, of your project medical director, showing you to trust, giving you that trust. 
it, it's inspiring. Yeah. You know? and I think, and I think, yeah, you know, when you bring objective data to caring and compassionate medical directors that are concerned about patient outcome, you can make change. And that's kind of, that's, that's basically what we're, what we're trying to do. Um, do you want me to walk you through the, what the, yeah. what the protocol oh, totally. is? Oh, totally. Uh, sure. We talked about it uh, yeah. in the lobby late, late, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of nights ago, and I, I can't remember it also. Yeah, so I'm obviously sure you have to do that. Um, um, so um, there are response to any cardiac arrest is highly coordinated and highly choreographed, just like most ACR um, uh, providers. Um, and now our post-ROS care is highly coordinated as well. So if our patient is hypotensive, um, basically what we're going to do is, is we have to meet that patient pathology within minutes. And so really there's only one treatment option and that's push dose epi. And so uh, for people that are um, not aware, uh, uh, basically what you got to do is you got to take a 10 mil syringe, you got to dump nine mils out, you got to suck up nine mils of normal saline, and now you're at um, 10 mics per mil. And our protocol is you, you give 20 mics, Q2 minutes, until you um, uh, until you start a norepi infusion, and all treatment is to be concurrent. So you're going to give your push dose epi. You're going to give a, you start. You're going to start a fluid challenge. If the patient's um, is bradycardic, you're going to start pacing. Um, and it's not you're not allowed to go anywhere until you have stabilized that patient's blood pressure. So um, we've gone from a rearrest rate of about fifty percent and arrival to the ED with a pulse of our Ross patients of 50%. So you can see that if the patient re-arrested in the field, they didn't arrive to the hospital with a pulse. Um, our re-arrest rate now is under 20%, and our arrival to the ED with pulses is over 90%. Oh, my. Wow. That is fantastic stuff, guys. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, we're, we're very, very proud of the work that our members are doing. Yeah. Um, it, it, we, we always make sure to, to, to let them know Hey, this is the only reason we're doing this, and the only reason we're being this successful is because of the work that they're doing. Yeah, well, it's not you, right? No, I mean, and no, I don't mean offense to that. No, it's not, not us me. At all. No, it's not 100%. me. I'm, I'm, and, yeah, and we we push the paper around. Yeah, and there's you know there's it. yeah there's some agencies out there where hey they're they're collecting data, they can see trends, but if their membership is not bought in and excited to uh, and concerned about outcomes then none of this works, right? And so the men and women of, the men and women of Lethbridge Fire and Emergency Services are the ones that are putting the work in and that are doing the, um, that are putting these performances out. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's truly inspiring. And, you know, Adiel, uh, were, were you guys, I, I don't know if you were here for his post-ROSC care, um, but I'm glad you guys are thinking about that because it's, it's so much more than just getting ROSC, right? And treating that patient. Yeah, we, we've, uh, our members now are, are expecting to get a ROSC back. So year, for years, we've all operated the exact same way. We'd get a pulse back and we're like, holy crap, we got a pulse back. And that was a shock to us. That was, a, that was abnormal response. And for our members now, they start prepping their push dose epi early. Because of, we're very lucky, we have mechanical CPR devices, we have anywhere between five and six advanced care responders on a car, every cardiac arrest scene. Uh, one of those individuals, their whole job is to simply prep drugs. So they are now prepping push dose epi before they ever get a ROS back because we are expecting to get that ROS back. And it's uh, it, it, it's it, it's not uncommon that that we started norepi infusion in, in people's living room and and in years past that that type of uh, uh, bringing that critical care intervention 
into people's living room that w- was unheard of uh, in years past. Yeah, we were kind of talking about that the other day, weren't we? If if you realize that this, it's even before the arrest happens, right, in the house. And if you wait too long, you're going to be doing compressions inside of the yeah, ambulance. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> we're, we're, we're working on something right now. And, um, and uh, what we found is, is there's a, a patient population that, that present in cardiogenic shock with uh, altered level of consciousness, um, uh, acute coronary syndrome, or severe respiratory stress, and associated blood pressure, uh, associated hypotension. If we see those things, we believe that that is an imminent cardiac arrest waiting to happen. And so um, something that we're working on right now, but if our members see those things, um, the training here is that they need to contact uh, online medical consultation as quick as they can and start talking about vasopressors because we're taking these patients that are in cardiogenic shock um, and don't have um, uh, an EKG that would benefit from electricity. So they're either, you know, sinus rhythm, they're not bradycardic, it's not it's not VTAC, so they're not cardioverting, they're not pacing, um, uh, it's not indicated. And so they're like, well, what the heck do we do? Well, let's load this person up and get them to the hospital as quick as you can. And, um, and, and they're going into cardiac arrest. So w- we witness about 10% of our cardiac arrests, 5% of those, or sorry, half of those um, meet that criteria. And if we're not treating those patients um, with vasopressors early into the call, um, they're going into cardiac arrest. And so um, we think that we can actually avoid about 5%, 3 to 5% of our of our worked cardiac arrest. Yeah, that's amazing. If we can prevent a cardiac arrest, I mean, we do great work with, you know, 12 leads and, and everything that when we started doing 12 leads to, you know, time is, uh, is heart and heart is time and, you know, getting them to the cath lab, we've made great strides with that and stroke. And this is, this is no different, right? Well, if we can prevent that. Yeah. We, we've started to, to have our members look at this and say, okay, if this person was in cardiac arrest and you got them back and they presented to you the exact same way, what would you do? And every one of them knows, push dosepid, uh, push dosepi and get them on, uh, on vasopressor. And all of a sudden you say, okay, so instead of doing the CPR, Let's count that. Let's get rid of that section of this of the of the conversation. How are you going to treat that patient? Wow! And it's the exact. And they go. Right. And the light bulb. Like, like you so, can see this so light bulb. Go so we, off. yeah, we had a case. We had a case where it was it was exactly like we we say hypotension, unconscious, unresponsive, had a, a EKG sixty normal sinus rhythm. Um, they ran up to the ambulance. They started CPR. They ended up getting a ROSC, and then lo and behold, patient's hypotensive again. They do push dose epi, start the norepi infusion, and we're like, well, why don't we just take that treatment there that stabilized them and prevented the what we knew was going to be another cardiac arrest, stick it before the cardiac arrest, and avoid avoid chest compressions altogether. Um, and so um, that's kind of what we're looking at. We're um, we're currently working with our medical direction um, and Alberta Health Services to figure out, hey, what we need here is a peri arrest protocol. Um, I think our shock protocol is great, but I think we need uh, a specific peri-arrest protocol where the provider sees uh, signs of an imminent cardiac arrest and intervenes to prevent it. Uh, that's great. And we, we have had a case where our membership did do that, and they did recognize it early, and they were able to stop the cardiac arrest from happening as well. And so it was interesting with that individual was in an ACLS course that we were teaching. Mike came in and, and gave what he just said, 
And what was it? It was about two months, two months later. later. Yeah. And he, he was sitting in the, in the person's house and he went, oh this, crap, this, this is what they're that. talking about. Okay. And he started treating it just like a cardiac arrest. Okay. Defined roles. Everybody in the room knew what was going on. And he just barked the orders. I want, I want this line put in there. Let's get a push dose epi protocol going. Somebody get out to the truck and, and start mixing up our level fed. And then let's, let's get this done. And it was done in so that, yeah, that person that person walked out of the hospital about a week and a half later. Oh, yeah. beautiful. So normally, <clears throat> I'm going to go off a tangent for a minute. Uh-oh. Normally, <laughs> it's safe. Safe for work. We all go to our annual physicals, right? And they tell us, eat more like Adam. Because I had, I had lunch with Adam, right? He didn't eat what Mike and I ate, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I still ate it. Um. So essentially, we're, here we are. We're talking about preventing cardiac arrest in a different way. Our, every one of our doctors from an annual physical is going to tell us, don't eat red meat, don't eat yeah, a lot of it, don't right, drink, right. don't smoke, don't, you know, don't do all the things. And uh, we're kind of doing that, but we're doing that with people we have no clue about their, their past medical history. We're doing that right on scene. We're preventing cardiac arrest. They are preventing cardiac arrest from happening in ways that we should be trying to take care of ourselves, right? But... It's amazing to hear that essentially we're, we're fire prevention. Right? Oh, right? yeah. Essentially. That's, that's, that's wonderful. You know, we, we talk in our, in our lectures, um, you know, we, we, um, David Foster Wallace, right? Right. Uh, you know, about the fishies, you know, passing each other and how's the water boys, you know, and the fishies go, what the hell is water? And that's us, right? We, we don't even know we have a problem. Um, but you guys are recognizing that there is a problem and you're using case review to help you with that yeah we think case review is an absolutely invaluable tool um mike's got a saying and, and i've heard it a couple other talks um that is it, you you if you if you're if you're not looking at case review and you're trying to do quality improvement it's like swinging a bat in, the, in a dark room you, you don't know what you're going to hit you can't see what's coming at you you have no idea what is going on and so we we were lucky we came into to our roles a few years ago uh, this product was sitting there. It was on the shelf. We already had a subscription cost to it. Uh, in Canada, that's what we, what, I think what they call uh, case review premium. Yes. Right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's all we have in Canada. We've never right. had anything else. And so we started using that. And we're looking at saying, look at all these cool things that it can do. And then we started off with lo- looking at cardiac arrests. As I would say, probably 90% of EMS services that start a QAQI program, that's what we go to. Right? Uh, and then Mike started to notice these trends. And then he'd call me up and he'd say, hey, take a look at this. Look at this. This is what we're seeing. This is what we're noticing. And so we've now been able to do that. So now we've got our push dose epi protocol, our peri-arrest protocol. Uh, the Alberta Health Services just released a, a study or a, a review. They, they mined all their old paper PCRs and they were looking at RSI. And so, and, and the increased lack of, or, or the, the, what is it? The lack of sedation uh, post-intubation. And we've known for years that this is a problem in EMS, and we've always talked about it, and I think it comes back kind of every four or five years in a theme on some training evolution somewhere down the line. Uh, and so once this memo came out, we started going back and looking at our RSIs through case review. And we noticed that um, almost 100% of our RSIs, the, the patients are under-sedated within about 10 minutes. So with case review, we can see when our acuvant stops, our end CO2 drops to zero, they pass the tube, they start bagging again, everything works out great. And then if you look about 10 minutes after that point, you'll see the patient start to breathe again on their own. Uh, and, and that is your first key indication that, that they are starting to gain conscious, 
consciousness back. They are under sedated. They're no longer paralyzed. This is before there's tearing, before they start bucking on the tube, before there's any of that traditional stuff that we were all taught in paramedic school that this is when you resedate. And we now know that that is not the case. And so, so we're, we're looking at how do we now include this training program into our membership to say, okay, when you're doing these RSIs, the, you, your next step is once the tube is passed is resedate right away. Because that is ultimately yeah, and what these people and, need, and and it, you know, we're fortunate because the the uh, some of the RSIs that we've seen um, um, were not a traumatic brain injury, uh, because if the, if they were a traumatic brain injury and that patient started breathing on their own and they start tearing and they start bucking the tube, that's increasing ICP, mm. which is going to lead to mm-hmm. a, a negative patient outcome. Right, right? Right. So, um, our whole goal is that if 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 our members make that decision to paralyze and to take over the breathing, um, and they move over to positive pressure ventilations, we don't want to see, we don't want to see um, that patient breathing on their own. No, you don't. You know, I think <clears throat> wasn't Doctor Antevity talking about that at this keynote? <clears throat> RSI and all that. I think yeah, he was D- talking about RSI that. and DSI. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, what else are you guys using case review for? I mean, I'm sure you guys are learning yeah. a lot about it. And yeah, totally. Um, well, uh, I guess one thing that we're using it for is, is is we're actually looking at the trends in our community, and and unfortunately, um, we 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 have a significant opiate uh, problem in our in our community, and and. Um, what we're seeing is when we look at case review and we look at our uh, CPR trend summary, um, you know, obviously as deadly poisons come into your community, your EMS is going to do more CPR and more uh, cardiac arrest. Uh, we're kind of looking at the exact opposite. We believe that as your frequency of CPR and, and cardiac arrest goes up, that means you have deadly opiates coming into your city. So um, we know that, hey, all of a sudden we should only be doing uh, four to seven cardiac arrests a month. So if we get excess of that, uh, above that, we know that we have a, a potent batch of opiates. Uh, so if you look at the government data and lay that over our um, our CPR trend, it's ex- they look exactly the same. Uh, so we're using that as um, an early indicator to our community that that the potency of opiates is is increasing. Uh, the government data is three to four months behind, but in real time, we can actually see what's actually going on in our community just by using case review. So we're able to get out public service announcements. Hey, if you have a, and uh, if you have someone struggling in your family, make sure that you have your Narcan kit. Um, um, don't use alone. Uh, we can get those public service announcements out and, and and then engage with our community partners to ask them what are they seeing. And and really, you can get multiple people and multiple um, uh, agencies together um, to see if you can get in front of that bad batch. I, I never even thought of that. You know, using case review that way. You guys are being unbelievable advocates for the communities that you work in. Um, any suggestions for agencies doesn't matter if it's in america canada or across the world um and if they're not using case review yeah. you know what you know we yeah, have to I, look at this stuff right so yeah. any suggestions for them yeah you know what <laughs> just, just start just start using your case review make sure you have no barriers to your members um downloading to um um to case review but um one thing that we found is that what we had, what we realized that 
if we're going to ask people to, to do an extra step to download the call to case review, then we have to review it. So any call that's downloaded, it's mandatory that you do uh, um, your cardiac arrest. Any advanced airway has to be downloaded or any uh, significant cardiac event. But if it is downloaded, we give 100% performance reviews to those calls. So they get something out of it. Um, and as you start reviewing, as you start using the technology, your agency's um, um, starts to have accelerated learning and you know what's happening in your community. If you're just reading P PCRs and you're not using case review, PCR is just the perspective of the paramedic that wrote it. Um, and so I've seen beautifully written charts that, um, you know, you can almost smell the scene from how good of it's charted. And then you go over and you look at the, the performance and you're like, well, it wasn't that good. And then I've seen people write, write a PCR and you're like, they didn't what do are anything. They, what are these guys doing? Then you look at the performance and you're like, they knocked it out of the park. They just didn't write nothing down. So, <laughs> so you need you need the. They whole, were tired from their. So you need the whole picture of what actually happened on a call. Um, you can't just go by the, the the PCR and you can't just go by the 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 file. You have to take the whole thing and, and look at it and from then, multiple angles. Yeah, and the other part of that is that uh, when you're doing reviews and when you're giving feedback it has to be non-punitive i agree because you cannot tell somebody or, or coach somebody to get better performance if they are scared to come to you uh, when they think that they've done something they will not upload you will not see these calls because people don't want they're worried about about doing a bad job uh, and and no one comes to work wanting to do a bad job we all show up every day wanting to do the very best we possibly can for our patients and if, though, if your members are, are worried that something they write down or something that they perform at is going to, to be used to punish them, uh, then they will stop doing it and they will stop uploading and they will stop giving you the information that you're looking for from them. Uh, so we always, always turn our, our reviews are always a positive way, always a positive message. Yeah. That, that's yeah. fantastic and, and yeah you know what our, our, our members are human and, and hey i've made i've made a ton of mistakes and and you know what i've seen i've seen a minute and a half of of vfib not recognized i've seen um uh, vtac uh, with a pulse defibrillated instead of cardioverted nobody's in trouble hey man everyone's <laughs> everyone makes a mistake every and um and this whole thing is how can we be better for next time? No one was in trouble. No one was was reprimanded for anything. And so when you have that culture, people are more likely to tell you what exactly happened on the call. Yeah. We, we, when we first started this process, we were getting great compliance with uh, AccuVent use and antidal CO2 in advanced airways. But if they were IGELs, uh, we very rarely got any. If they were OPA BVMs, uh, you got none. Uh, and we realized that the part of that problem was, is it was a system problem. It wasn't a practitioner problem. We had those two pieces of equipment sitting in the wrong spot. So they were in our life or in our zone, uh, and we were waiting until everything was hooked up before they would, the, the practitioner would go, oh yeah, hey, let's get that entitled CO2 in the acumen. So our members on their own, when we started to say, hey, let's think of earlier, earlier application of these, of these two pieces of equipment, they moved it from the, the zone monitor pocket into their, to pre-built airway equipment tree that sits in their airway kit now so when they pull it out it is all sitting there ready to go already pre-made so now there's no excuse uh, there's no reason for those individuals not to have that information for us yeah we talked about it earlier trust right yeah 
you know, you guys are given a lot of trust. You have definitely expectations of how things have to go. You have accountability set up. You could see that with your case review, you know, going over your calls. It's non-punitive. You know, these individuals are inspired. It sounds like they're inspired to do great, great work. And they're coming up with ways of making it better. Well, just like you guys did. And, and, and they're doing it completely organically. Yeah. Like this is this is our membership. Our frontline staff are the ones that are doing this. Uh, and we're just going, hey, that's a great idea. Uh, we started a thing, and we call it the lessons learned of the LFD. Uh, and so we take all this great information that the staff are coming back to us. Because we have 180 or 190 staff, we run four platoons. There are some shifts that don't see members on their own on their own crew or they members on their own platoon, they don't see them because if they're in a day car at a different, a different fire hall and you're on one of our slower fire halls, you're actually not going to interact with those staff. So how do you get the good work that everybody is doing to, to be filtered across the board? And so we start this lessons learned of the LFD. And this is the way that our membership comes to us and, and we see these trends they're doing and then we tell everybody about them. And, and we've been able to recreate now these, our standards over and over and over again. Our, our chest compression fraction standard is 95% chest compression fraction. And so that means that in a 10-minute cardiac arrest of you doing manual CPR, you are allowed a total of 30 seconds off the chest. So every we do not stop CPR for procedures. We do not stop CPR for, for IV access or for IO access. If you're intubating, you're intubating through compression. We are very lucky. We have uh, video laryngoscopes. And so our members are able to actually continue with the autopulse going, continue with manual CPR and go in with a video laryngoscope and, and intubate during compressions. We now can take that, that video file gets uploaded. We can then send that video file for expert consultation. And that's what, what Mike has started to do is sends that off to, uh, to AirTrack. That, that's the brand that we use. They then send it to their experts. They read it and they send that feedback back to us. We then f- pass that feedback on to our staff members. And so that they now know, hey, next time let's try this technique. I had a little trouble here because I, I, my technique was a little bit off. And so that is just, that's one of our next things that we're starting to do. And, and this all started with case review and being able to look at what our staff performance was doing and how do we make it better. Yeah, Mike showed me the air track thing. And we have air track at LDCFM, and I didn't know that was even a, an option to do. So it's cool. And that expert consult um, that comes back, it's it's not damning. It's not, it's just regular work. Like they may not even be right. Like, you know, they, they're looking at a camera. Sure. They don't know everything, but it, what I read and what he showed me those cases, he showed me two or three of them. And it's like, I don't know how people wouldn't like that. I did. I said, do people take offense to this? And he said, no, it's, you know, it's expert stuff. So. Well, I, I definitely think we can learn a lot from you boys up in Canada. You guys are doing great, great work. Um, I would love to follow up with you guys, you know, down the road and, and see how these, you know, new protocols are working, get some of that data back and, um, you know, see what other new initiatives you guys are, are doing based off of uh, what you're seeing uh, with your case review. So um, really appreciate you guys uh, being here and all the hard work you guys are doing uh, all in an effort to save more lives. Thank you for yeah. having us. Thank you for yeah. having us. Great to meet you guys this week. Yeah. Looking right. forward to yeah. the future, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to working together yeah. with some ACR stuff in the future. So. Heck for yeah, sure. man. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. Um, have job. safe uh, travels back home, okay? Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. All right, thanks. thanks. This podcast and its postings are for general informational purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, 
medical direction, medical oversight, or medical advice. No doctor-patient or doctor-healthcare provider relationship is formed. This podcast and advanced cardiac resuscitation are not a substitute for any local, state, or federal policies, protocols, or treatment guidelines. The views and opinions of the hosts and the guests of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view or policy of advanced cardiac resuscitation, its officers, members, or member agencies. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by advanced cardiac resuscitation. Thank you for listening to ACR Moonshot, the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Podcast.